to Season 1, Episode 1 of Vexen, a Black beauty and pop culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is on Jennifer Jackson, Bunny at the Chicago Playboy Club, and the first Black Playboy centerfold. Now, let's start the show. Jennifer Jackson and her identical twin sister Janice were born February 6, 1945 on the south side of Chicago. The twins were born to Clynell Jackson Sr. and Marjorie McGuire Jackson. They graduated from Hirsch High School in 1963. In 1964, Jennifer began her first semester at Loop College, which is now called Harold Washington College. After starting her freshman year though, Jennifer realized she needed a job to support herself through school, so she started to look for work as a secretary. Then she randomly walked into Chicago's infamous Playboy Club. So Playboy Magazine, which is started by Hugh Hefner, as we all know, and Vice President Victor Lowndes, hit the shelves in 1953, and the Playboy Club was the first offshoot of the publication. It opened in February 1960, and it was like a gentleman's club on steroids. It was like full of alcohol, music, beautiful women. It was extremely over the top, and apparently it was a really good time. Um, The club was one of the first nightlife spots to open up on Chicago's Magnificent Mile and helped secure the neighborhood as one of the more prominent, vibrant areas in the country. So Magnificent Mile um, was a strip full of like clubs, bars, restaurants, just like all kinds of things that are like nightlife and entertainment and culture. So the Playboy Club was very exclusive. Membership cost about $25 a year for out-of-towners, and that would be around 205 today. And then locals were charged $50, which would be about 420 today. So I'm not really sure why they chose to charge more to people who were who lived in Chicago. I don't really get the marketing there, but that's what they did. Members were referred to as key holders because the membership granted them a special key. Now, when the club first opened, um, the key was like metal with a rabbit head, but then it was later replaced by a gold plastic card. And when the key was shown, the door bunny would let you inside. Once inside, key holders enjoyed women, steaks, salads, cocktails, and cigarettes that came with a Playboy lighter. Just like the star-studded events at the Playboy Mansion, the Playboy Club also attracted high-profile guests. Entertainment was included. Barbara Streisand and Aretha Franklin were both on the list, and that's really just to name a few. A lot of people performed at this club. The club was so successful in the first month, nearly 17,000 people frequently came through the doors. A year after opening, the club had 106,000 key holders. So that's crazy growth. One year and you have over 100,000 people who have memberships. That's pretty crazy. Then um, they opened the New Orleans clubs and the Miami Playboy Club. And then after that, the Chicago Club became the busiest nightclub in the world. The success sparked the launch of the Playboy Club resorts. These are now closed, but they had them in locations like there was one in um, Jamaica, there was one in Manila, Cancun, and a couple other places. At this time, Hugh Hefner also lived in the original Playboy Mansion in Chicago, which is now a historical landmark, and many of the club's Playboy bunnies lived in the mansion with him as well. Okay, so now I want to talk about the layout of the Playboy Club. So y'all, this club was insane. The original Playboy Club's layout was similar to a theme park, and it was designed to keep the the key holder around all night. 
So the first floor was the Playmate Bar, which had illuminated photos of all the centerfolds. The second floor, called the Living Room, had a piano bar and a large buffet. And the third and fourth floors were showrooms, referred to as the library and the penthouse. So as far as getting hired at the Playboy Club, interestingly enough, I think a lot of people who think of Playboy, they think of it as like, you know, really, really overly sexual and sexy women but they actually really preferred the girl next door type look um I don't think they really wanted people who looked too glamorous or like too sexy so the club hired women between the ages of 18 and 23 years old who they found to be the definition of beautiful charming and refined Jennifer told the Hollywood Reporter in 2017 I applied and right away they put me in a bunny costume. I hadn't dreamed about being a bunny. She was the youngest in the club and it was the first time she'd ever worn high heels. She got more fan mail than any other bunny and hate mail too, but it was the 60s y'all. So people, you know, shortly after Janice, who is Jennifer's twin sister, she also started working at the club. So they were both like twin playboy bunnies. So right now I'm going to interject and explain the difference between a Playboy bunny and a Playmate. So Playboy bunnies are cocktail waitresses and hostesses at the Playboy clubs. Bunnies are given custom outfits. So they get the iconic costume we all know, the black bodysuit, the matching ears, the bow tie, stockings, a collar, cuffs, cufflinks heels, a name tag, and then of course the bunny tail. So this was the first service uniform granted registration by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So the costume is a big deal. Playmates, on the other hand, they simply pose in the magazine for the centerfold section or on the cover. And once you're a playmate, you're always a playmate. They never refer to playmates as ex-playmates, but they do call ex-bunnies ex-bunnies. Sometimes bunnies are also playmates. So that's kind of how Jennifer Jackson is. She was a playboy bunny in the club and then eventually she does the centerfold in the magazine. But we'll get to that. It was made clear to key holders that bunnies were unavailable for everything except serving cocktails so at this time guys it's the 60s um people are still pretty modest in a sense um and definitely everyone was like the playboy club is for prostitutes the girls are prostitutes the girls you know um are there on display for men which really actually wasn't the case and that's what's so interesting learning about playboy is that was like one of the main things that they fought against they really did not want their girls to have that stereotype and they really wanted to make sure that their girls didn't you know influence that stereotype so the girls followed strict rules from the 44 page bunny manual which were enforced by the bunny mother they couldn't give their phone number out they couldn't date customers the playboy club was so serious about all of this that they wouldn't even let Um, playboy bunnies who were married meet their husbands outside of the club if your husband was coming to pick you up or meet you he had to meet you within a two block radius so again it was the 60s and the playboy club was considered scandalous at the time there were conservative officials all over chicago who wanted to shut the club down so it was important that bunnies followed these rules to prevent the doors from being closed so there were these like conservative politicians and like you know just like random conservative whistleblowers that nobody even knew and they were just so upset about this club being open and being successful that they wanted to trip the girls up and trip the club up and get them in trouble so that the the club would have to close down so it was just really important that the girls followed the rules 
Um, Hefner and Loans took this so seriously that they hired private detectives to test the bunnies by offering money for favors and sex. Now, this part is kind of funny. So it was clearly a big deal. So they hired these, this private company to come in kind of like when you work retail and like they send a secret shopper in very similar to that same idea. So basically the guy would come in and like, he would hit on his waitress, hit on his Playboy bunny and like try to promise her a large amount of money for sex if she like gave out her number and met him somewhere. And then that girl would be automatically fired if she took the bait. I've read a lot of former Playboy bunny stories and they, some of them admit that they were really afraid of this happening, but a lot of former Playboy bunnies went on to marry uh, executives in Playboy who worked there when they worked there. So clearly like, you know, that was still kind of happening fraternization was not being prevented in that sense and also I mean I read a couple girls who said that there were always ways to get around that and they could always tell what the private detectives looked like the private detectives never tried to blend in with the typical clientele so it was very easy to pick them out so a lot of girls dated guys from the club all the time but just never got caught Okay, so in 1963, feminist icon and journalist Gloria Steinem went undercover to write A Bunny's Tale for Show Magazine, which was then turned into a movie. The article was an expose of Playboy clubs. She spent a little over a week working as a bunny and described long hours, low pay, too tight costumes, and painful shoes. So when this came out, this article, A Bunny's Tale, when this came out in Show Magazine, it was a big deal and it was released in two parts and it was insanely popular. So we'll talk about it a little bit more um, further down the episode. So based on Jennifer's recollection, though, I think she had a very similar experience to what Gloria described in the magazine. So when asked about her own experience, Jennifer recalls that the bunnies had to pay for their own uniforms and were responsible for repairing them. She says there was an in-house seamstress who was also a black woman, and I think that she's referring to Zelda Wynn Valdez, who is the black designer who designed um, the Playboy bunny costume, but I'm not too sure. It could have been another woman there. The bunnies only worked for tips. There were no salaries, no hourly wages. And Jennifer describes the experience like this. It was competition because you couldn't gain any weight. They watched your weight, they watched your appearance, and no one paid you a salary. It all depended on how nice you were to the customers, how fast you could get drinks on the tables. It was competition like that. And everyone aspired to be a playmate, but everyone wasn't asked. It was like that television show, Project Runway. Everyone wanted their picture to be in Playboy. So despite this experience, I think that Jennifer does look back on her first job quite fondly. She told The Hollywood Reporter in 2017, we get a lot of attention. Playboy clubs were the biggest thing going. Everyone wanted to be a bunny. And when they asked her about Hugh Hefner, she said, it was the sexual revolution and he brought that out. He was the guy that was not afraid to speak up. So back to the 60s. Shortly after um, Jennifer started working at the Playboy Club, Pompeo Pizar, who was Playboy's lead photographer at the time started coming in regularly to convince her to pose for him at first she was reluctant every time he came in Jennifer would say it's already enough that I'm putting on this bunny costume after a few times she started thinking about his requests and decided to move forward Jennifer had been fighting with her boyfriend a lot and she'd also been dreaming of moving to New York at the time, Jennifer was a runner-up in the Miss Chicagoland competition, and she had done a few photo shoots for hair ads, but nothing major yet. She knew that to really make it into the industry, she had to move to New York, so then she decided to take the photos. 
Jennifer remembers the night that her photos were shot vividly. She brought a friend along to the Playboy Mansion and explored the house. There was a garden, an underground pool, an in-house band, and a 24-hour private chef that would make whatever you wanted. The members of the band were all black, and they took Jennifer under their wing and let her know which of the guests to avoid. And she says that she felt right at home there. So in March 1965, Jennifer became Playboy's first African-American centerfold. After posing, she had enough money to move to New York City. By the time the issue came out, she was already living in Manhattan. So this happened pretty fast. Like right after she took her photos, I guess they must have paid her and she moved to New York immediately because by the time the picture came out, she was already living there. So this was like a whirlwind couple of months for her, it seems like. Luckily for Jennifer, her parents didn't have a negative reaction towards their daughter posing nude, which I thought was pretty cool for the 60s. Um, Her father was a wealthy real estate broker, and he even became a member of the Chicago Playboy Club after the photo shoot. The only person who really felt shame over these photos is Jennifer herself. So as I'm sure we all know, boldly displaying your sexuality to the public is a slippery slope for all women. And this was especially complicated in the 1960s and probably even more so for black women. In their 2012 journal titled Viewing Videos, Class Differences, Black Women, and Interpretations of Black Femininity, sociology professors Adia Harvey Wingfield and Melinda Mills expand on this idea. Here's a quote. Middle and upper class black women may adapt a politics of respectability wherein they enforce traditional ideals about appropriate gendered behavior among themselves and working class black women as a way of offsetting pervasive cultural stereotypes about black female sexuality. Basically, what that's saying is, as a black woman from a middle class family, Jennifer might have had feelings about bringing shame to them by taking the photos or thought she quote unquote branded herself too early and would never be able to achieve anything outside of the nude pictures. Jennifer spent many years embarrassed about being a Playboy centerfold. In 1999, she attended a Playboy reunion and she says that is where she finally got closure about taking the photos. Although Jennifer felt some kind of way about her photos, they did have an impact that she can't deny because this random decision she made to take these photos actually ended up being a part of a larger conversation about race that was happening in the country. So America was in the heat of the Vietnam War at this time, and Jennifer received many letters from black soldiers who were proud to see someone who looked like them in the magazine. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Jennifer said, I got so many fan letters coming from those guys, it broke my heart. A lot of them never came back, and some of them who did were really messed up. So in order to promote the magazine, the brand, the clubs, Playboy would send their new playmates on college tours around the country, but Jennifer was not allowed to go on any of these trips. And Hefner explained it to her saying that he couldn't properly protect her in the era of the civil rights movement. And this kind of sounded like a cop out to me the first time I read it. But going back to what was going on with Playboy at the time, I kind of see why he felt that way. So as I said earlier, the Miami and the New Orleans clubs opened up pretty much right after the Chicago club took off. And if I remember correctly, I believe it was the New Orleans club. New Orleans was not happy with the fact that Playboy was hiring black women to work as bunnies. They were like, hell no shut it down, no black women. And they wanted, Playboy wanted to say fuck that, excuse my language, Playboy wanted to just be like, well, fuck these people, we're gonna have black people working at this club because in our other locations, black people work at this club. But 
they I think that they decided not to for the first year because they didn't want to lose their liquor license. They didn't want to have people messing with them to get the club shut down. They wanted to be able to protect the black people who worked at the club. So if I remember correctly, what happened was like the first year or two of the New Orleans club, black people were not allowed to work there. Um, and then after that, they were able to have black people working there. I think that they franchised it out or they, they did something. There was some kind of loophole. So that's just like to show you guys why Jennifer was really not allowed to go um, to go on these college tours. And again, this was like the heat of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., all of that stuff. So that was what was happening around them. So the reason why a lot of government officials and city officials probably didn't like Playboy is because at that time, Playboy offered their platform to a lot of prominent black activists and artists. Um, So Alex Haley, who wrote The Roots, once worked at Playboy um, and he interviewed Martin Luther King Jr. He interviewed Malcolm X for them, Muhammad Ali and Sammy Davis Jr. So I think that that probably could have been a reason why Playboy was being targeted in this way and why they had to be really careful with the way they moved with the business. So anyway, after her centerfold debut, Jennifer went on to be a pretty successful model. She signed with Ford Models and she worked with Eileen Ford herself. And then she also signed to Black Beauty, which was an agency that only hired black models. Playboy wasn't the only place where Jennifer made history. She was actually also the first black model to be in advertisements for cool cigarettes and Clairol, both of which were published in Ebony. She was also the model in the ad for Ebony's 1965 fashion fair show. In 1966, Jennifer gave birth to her first child and then began to focus on her family. By 1971, after the birth of her second child, Jennifer moved back to Chicago and began working on her bachelor's degree. She then met her second husband, whose name was Charles Green, um, and he was getting his master's at this time. She then had a third child and the entire family moved to Seattle in 1979. Jennifer says that the main reason they decided to settle in Seattle is because her first two children were biracial and she wanted them to live somewhere a little bit more cosmopolitan so they would fit in more. I'm guessing by cosmopolitan, she meant like more accepting. So that is why they moved to Seattle. Once arriving there, Jennifer started working for the University of Washington and spent much of her time as a housewife. In 1990, she became a social worker, specifically an investigator for child protective services, working in the sex abuse unit to protect children. Although she loved her job and excelled at it, Jennifer was always, always, always worried about people finding out about her past. So she always had the Playboy photos in the back of her mind, and she never wanted anybody she worked with to find out that she had posed for Playboy. So this is something that bothered her well into adulthood. So now let's go back to A Bunny's Tale, which is the article that Gloria Steinem wrote for Show Magazine. So Gloria Steinem, who went undercover at the club and her bunny name was Bunny Marie. All the girls were assigned a nickname. They weren't allowed to go by their real names. So she went to the club as Bunny Marie. Um, She spoke very lowly of the women she once worked with. In her novel, The Bunny Years, writer Catherine Lee Scott, a former bunny who worked with Steinem in the New York Playboy Club, discussed the show magazine piece and its effect on the women mentioned. She said, the characterization of bunnies as naive, hapless victims who spent all their time complaining was not only cliche, but insultingly inaccurate. 
Barbara Harrison, who was Playboy's head of PR at the time when Steinem's article was published, thought that it was great that Steinem focused on the exploitation of women in certain positions, but she did find the article to be unfair as well and demeaning towards the women who worked there. She had to say this. The great majority of the bunnies were using their income they earned to pay for schooling and to prepare for a career. They had goals. I felt that her article ignored that aspect and was distorted and self-serving. So that book where both of these quotes came from is called The Bunny Years. And again, the writer was a former bunny who worked with Steinem um, when she was undercover. And of course, they did not know she was undercover at the time. That book um, finds a lot of ex-Playboy bunnies from all across the country, from all of the different clubs, and just kind of speaks on their experience. So if you're looking for a more in-depth look of what the Playboy clubs were like, I really recommend that book. It's a great read. I absolutely loved it. I'll probably read it again at some point. Um, so that book is really great. And a lot of the women were offended by what Gloria had to say. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the writer, Catherine Lee Scott, kind of wrote it because she was kind of, she was pissed at how she was portrayed in this article that was extremely demeaning towards women. But anyway, let's get back to the show magazine article. So also, if you have not checked out the show magazine expose, I think you should check it out. I suggest that you read it and make your own opinion. So I'm going to make sure that I have it in my show notes so you guys um, can read it. I found a free PDF version of it. Again, it's from the 1960s. So the font is kind of small, but you can zoom in and it's a really good read. So I would read it. Um, so in my opinion, I feel that the article is really good, but it does come off very judgmental. So for example, the tagline of the article is shows first expose for intelligent people. So they're already starting off on a bad foot. Like that's already negative. <laughs> so throughout both parts of the expose, there's two parts of this. Steinem makes a lot of references. Like I'm not like these girls and like saying she feels sorry for them. She's kind of pitying them and making fun of them at the same time. And like those parts are very cringy for me to read personally. Um, but just suffer through them because it's a good article. Um, so although Steinem is probably the most famous feminist in the world, one of them, it's kind of ironic how unfeminist she is in this article. And again, it was the 60s so that mindset is kind of normal for the time but it's just funny when you think about feminism and the way that she wrote about these women which you guys will see if you read it is just like it's just the most ironic thing I've ever read but anyway um, in my opinion women like Jennifer Jackson were way more progressive than Gloria Steinem was at the time so this woman this is somebody who was posing nude in a magazine made a whole lot of money because the playboy bunnies made a lot of money at this time y'all like they made more a lot of them made more than their husbands um so she's making all of this money she posed nude she was a wife she was a mother she got her degree she was a cosmopolitan woman so if anybody was a feminist it would really be jennifer in this situation instead of gloria um Although I'm not going to be too hard on Gloria, I do like Gloria Steinem and her work. So I won't be too hard on someone for something that they wrote over 50 years ago. But attitudes like this from women, especially those who were deemed to be progressive, might have been one of the reasons Jennifer felt like her Playboy past was something that she should be embarrassed of. She was a black woman and we all know the stereotypes that come with being a black woman. And she had an unconventional work history in the 60s. And I'm sure a lot of other Playboy bunnies went through this once they moved 
moved on from Playboy and went out into the workforce. So Jennifer's reluctance to mention her past did not stop her from continuing to have an impact. So The Bunny Club was a show on NBC that premiered in 2011, and it featured a character that was loosely based on Jennifer. So Bunny Brenda was a character on the show. She was played by Naturi Naughton, who from 3LW and Power. Um, So she works at the Playboy Club in Chicago, and she wants to be the first black playmate. After Jennifer's 1963 debut in the magazine, many other black women appeared in Playboy. So Esther Corday, Ola Ray, Renee Tennyson, and Jean Bell, who was actually the first black playmate to appear on the cover of the magazine in 1970. Okay, so I'm going to clarify this a little bit because I feel like this can get a little confusing, which is why I wanted to make sure I mentioned what the difference between a Playboy bunny and a playmate was. So Jennifer, who we're talking about in this episode, was the first black woman to grace the pages of Playboy and she was the first one to be a centerfold so she did not have a cover but she was she had her own spread in that issue so Jean Bell was the first black woman to be on the cover of the magazine so they're both they both were playmates but Jennifer had a spread whereas Jean Bell had a cover and we will do an episode on Jean Bell as well Jean Bell's story is pretty interesting because she I believe she started off as a playmate, like how Jennifer was a Playboy bunny in the clubs and then was asked to appear in the magazine. I believe that Jean Bell was working as a model and was asked to pose and then she became a Playboy bunny after her um, spread, after her cover. So that's a pretty interesting one. We will have an episode on Jean Bell a little bit later on. But yes, okay, so let's get back to Jennifer. So... Rebecca Jackson, artist, who's a writer and is also Jennifer Jackson's niece, looks at her aunt's past job history very differently than how Jennifer saw it in the 60s. Rebecca actually wrote a piece on CNN's website in 2017 called Playboy Played a Role in the Strong Black Woman I Am Today. While reflecting on the stint her aunts had at the Playboy Club, because remember Jennifer and her twin sister Janice both worked there, she vividly describes how the experience shaped them, which helped them to then shape her. Playboy didn't help my aunts gain confidence, and that is something my aunts emphasized to me. They already had that. Playboy opened doors for opportunities for women like them with revolutionary minds and who valued revolutionary philosophies. So those women could benefit professionally by working in an environment with resourceful men. I never saw Playboy as regressive. I saw it as progressive in a way, knowing the politically minded women my aunts were and still are. This was a time of the sexual revolution, a time to do away with prudish behavior. This sexual shift was going on not just in periodicals, but in other aspects of American society so Jennifer's life is very different today than how it was then Um, Rebecca mentions that even in their 70s Jennifer and Janice are unapologetically self-confident about their bodies and exude confidence about their beauty and femininity she also says Hugh Hefner didn't give my aunts the power they have shared with me and the world he saw it in them and gave them one of the many ways they could show the world their strength as self-confident sexually empowered black women Looking back, Jennifer feels her appearance in Playboy helped to change the narrative around black femininity and beauty, even if it just shifted it slightly. We weren't a part of Madison Avenue or Hollywood who set the beauty standards. It was a time to show the white community that there are some beautiful black people, black women. That is Jennifer Jackson's story, the first black uh, Playboy bunny and centerfold. 
And if you guys liked this episode, let me know. I am so, so, so looking forward to doing more episodes on women who were playmates and playboy bunnies, black women specifically, of course. Um, so please let me know if you guys liked this episode. There are a lot of black women that um, have had some kind of connection <laughs> with playboy throughout the years. So, I mean, you can really go on and on about this brand and the black women that were a part of it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Vixen, guys. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. If you have a submission, feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com. So that's V-I-X-E-N podcast at gmail.com.